organizations are training their managers and their leaders in coaching dialogue. Now, this is where it gets wonderful because by doing that, the leaders and the managers themselves, particularly line managers, are moving into a different dialogue with their direct reports. Welcome to the Emotional Approach Podcast. I'm your host, Andreas Pindori, and this week my guest is Paula King. Paula is the director of Kingston College. She's also a psychologist and leadership coach. She was awarded the prestigious Best Global Coaching Leaders Award in 2017. And in the same year, she was given the EMCC European Coach of the Year Award. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information, visit andreasplendori.com. The theme tune is Pressure by Nevada. I'm talking to Paula King of Kingston College, and Paula, thanks a million for uh, joining me. I guess I, I, I'd like to start uh, from the beginning, uh, as in, where do you come from and how did you get to coaching? Sure, and good morning, Andrea. Um, the coaching journey for me has been extraordinarily interesting, actually. I said to somebody, in front of a few people recently, I said I'm involved in coaching. I think I might have shared this with you, actually. I'm involved in coaching for 15 years, and my son is 25 and was in the room. And he said, Mom, I'm 25 years old. And as a typical mother answer, I said, and what's your point, son? And he said, well, you're involved in coaching since before I was born. So I'm involved in coaching for over 25 years, Andrea. And it has been an amazing journey. I have qualifications in psychology, in counseling. Um, and I've always had a hunger to understand what truly assists a human being to reach their potential and be the best version of themselves possible. And when I discovered the world of coaching, I felt at home. I felt it was the right place to be. I remember the very first coaching course I went on. I went to America and I went on a life coaching course and was teased for it. And that was the day, actually, I remember sitting in a room and thinking, do you know nobody has control over my life except myself? And we all know that cognitively, but to really know it, heart, mind, spirit, in your actions, it's quite a scary prospect that we are, we are writing our own stories and we always have choices. And that is when I started my coaching journey. I went on to um, study various coaching programs. And in my journey of coaching, what struck me the most, Andrea, is the growth in the coaching profession. As you probably know, it's the second largest growing industry in the world today. IT is still up there. And there are real tangible reasons for that that I would have embraced over the years but the main one is that happened to me in that room in America where I really understood to the core of my being I have control of my life and it's up to me to live my best life and that that message is the message that organizations are embracing that human beings are embracing so we're saying if we have control of our lives what are we going to do in order to ensure they are the best version and working with a coach is how a lot of people have decided uh, is the route to go on. And so, sorry, if you go back to that moment you went to America, who sent you there? Why did you decide to go? Well, I think you're already beginning to sense me now. I have a real hunger for learning. I saw a course advertised called Life Coaching. I had never heard the term before. It intrigued me. 
The course was run by a man called Tom Leonard, who actually is one of the uh, founding members of the coaching profession. He set up a company called Coach You many, many years ago. Um, he was my first teacher. Sadly, passed away when he was 45, uh, but left a lovely legacy. He was one of the founding members of an organization called the International Coach Federation, who are uh, an organization who look at standards and ethics in coaching, predominantly, uh, originally predominantly in states in Australia, now moving into Europe because of global movement. Um, I became president of the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, another very, very well-known organization. I was president of the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. I still standard, sit on the standards and ethics body. And I, we, I really am so proud of our organization. We are viewed as a young, uh, young, organi young profession. That's what we're viewed as, coaching. Obviously, psychology goes back many, many, many years. But coaching has evolved from learnings from Socrates, Aristotle. We have embraced so many, um, so many of the learnings from thought leaders and gurus in the world. And um, we've embraced the work of leadership, the leadership space. We have embraced some of the work of psychology, uh, positive psychology particularly. So we are, um, we are a learning body who's still growing. And that's an important, an important space. And when I came into coaching first, life coaching was the space. So Oprah Winfrey, for example, had a life coach. So we recognize the term life coach. And then all of a sudden, nobody wanted to be a life coach. Everybody wanted to be called an executive coach because organizations started looking at the space of executive coaching. Now that's changing again as people are looking at their lives and saying, you know what, I want to live a good life. And they are going back to work with life coaches. So the world of coaching has evolved and grown so much. It's absolutely incredible. So we have life coaches, parenting coaches, career coaches, people who specialize in conflict coaching, um, business coaching, working with small to medium-sized enterprises. So the coaching profession has stretched and grown as human beings are stretching and growing. So going back to my own journey and my own, and I am passionate, as you can probably hear, I am passionate about what I do, but I have a huge reason for that. I have worked with probably at this stage in my over 25 years in coaching, I probably have worked with thousands really, probably over, over a thousand definitely, probably thousands of people sitting in rooms with people, fabulous, fabulous people who are prepared to make changes in their lives, who are courageous, who sit in a room with me and plan strategies in order to create positive change. Now that is absolutely inspirational and I've met truly inspirational people in my own journey. The organizations who are embracing coaching are doing it for lots of great reasons, but predominantly because coaching has been proven to be one of the most effective mechanisms to assist people to really reach potential and perform to their highest capability in organizations. So the whole space of coaching and the reason that coaching has grown has some really fantastic, ethical, wonderful reasons for it. Brilliant. I... I as a caveat, I, I came to coaching very much, uh, very skeptical. I, and a bit like you, I found, uh, I saw an ad for, for a course, which happened to be one of your courses in Kingston College. I shall give it a go. Uh, interesting enough, before I, I took the course, I spoke to a couple of people that had done it. And everybody said to me, look, whether you're going into coaching or not, it's worth doing for your own personal development. Uh, and I was like, yeah, whatever. 
I said, yeah, I'm not, okay, I'll give it a go. And I have to say, and I'm not, and I'm not just saying because you're, you're, you're here and talking to me, but it, it has been fantastic. So I'm on the second course now with Kingston College. But tell me about um, how did Kingston start it and why did you start a college? And that yeah, it's an interesting this? journey there, actually, Andrea. Yes, for sure. It's the last thing I expected to be was an entrepreneur, if I'm really honest with you. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs end up in the space because they're passionate, which can be good and it can be, you know, the challenges. So in 2004, the business was set up. Before that, I was a director in a number of European projects, actually. Um, the last one I was a director of before I, I started the college with a fellow director called Edward Boland, um, really close, wonderful friend of mine. Um, I was, the last project was um, looking at the space of engaging with people with disabilities and encouraging the HR profession to employ people with disabilities. Okay. And my role as a director was to go into boardrooms and to meet the directors and to work with them around strategies that would assist an organization to employ people with disabilities. Sounds very straightforward and it was very positive and I had some fantastic conversations and some of the conversations were around, look, there's no problem. Eventually when trust arose with these people, the directors and the leaders, and they began to really trust me, we had honest conversations. And the conversations began to always go the same way, which was, Paula, we have no problem employing somebody who is blind. We have no problem employing somebody who's deaf. We will put in the ramps that wheelchair users require, no problem. And I was always thrilled, and I always be, I began to wait for the final statement, which always came. And I was, but please do not ask us to employ people with mental health challenges. Now, that broke my heart. I was intrigued by it. I actually tried to get funding at the time through Europe to look at bringing coaching into, into this space. And then I moved into, I ended up setting up the college with Edward Boland, and my life changed, went in a totally different direction. We started looking at uh, delivering, obviously, the accredited programs that you're involved in, Andrea. And accreditation was a huge part of our journey. And I became very engrossed in that. And I actually completely moved away and forgot about my, my interest in mental health and well-being. And then where you have met me on the program in the corporate well-being and the mental health and well-being coaching space, I re-explored it through one phone call from a director of a company called Mindwise, who are based in the north of Ireland. And the director rang me and Doherty and said, we are curious about how coaching could assist us. We are an organization who works with people who have who have been have had mental health challenges or are vulnerable to them, are recovering from them. And through the conversation, we started discussing the idea of recovery to discovery, with the with the concept and the belief that the recovery model, which is fabulous, and the medical model, which is fabulous, is deficit unless we offer coaching, which is around discovering new strengths. So the the college has evolved from offering um, accredited coach training uh, internationally actually we have been offered internationally for a number of years now to our new offerings in the last few years around mental health and well-being coaching and corporate well-being coaching and i just want to i'm mentioning this because if we think about what coaching is and if we think about empowerment at one point coaching was regarded as being available to the maybe the more successful in our society. So Bill Gates, for example, would have had a coach for many years. Um, uh, Mr. Schmidt, who is CEO, Eric Schmidt, who is CEO of Google, will talk very, very um, 
glowingly about having his coach and how, how fantastic the coach has been for him. But that, that offering us coaching of coaching has moved now into so many echelons of our society. And it's, it's gone into, obviously, organizations, into, as I said, the life coaching. And now, in my whole passionate belief, it's also moved into the space of our mental health because coaching is about empowerment and taking control of our corporate well-being. And you and I know, Andrea, that with particularly with COVID-19, our mental health has been challenged, all of us, and in different ways for different people, depending how resilient we are. And I had two clients this morning, actually, just to share this with you, both of whom are senior leaders, both of whom are struggling, neither of whom came to me for mental health um, or resilience coaching, and both sessions were totally focused on their well-being, taking care of themselves, taking control. One of our favorite models, as you know, is, and I always say to my clients, and you've heard me saying it is, you know what you've got to do? You've got to join the CIA. You know that one, Andrea? <laughs> you have to join the CIA. Yeah. So let's focus on what we can control in our lives. Let's focus on what we can influence. And let's accept the things we cannot change because otherwise we get exhausted. Now, that's a simple model, but actually that permeates through all our coaching dialogues. Because if it's around empowerment, all the tools and techniques we bring as professional coaches are based on the premise that our clients has the answer within, and we as coaches will hold them in unconditional positive regard. However, we will challenge them. So the, the college, the journey in the college is directly linked to my own passion. As I said to you, I never expected to be a director of an organization. I never expected to be an entrepreneur, but I do, I do believe that the passion we bring to what we do creates success because it keeps us strong. Mm. And in terms of the college and the people like me coming to it for different reasons, we're all coming to the coaching for different reasons. Over the years that you've done the, the courses, what kind of feedback are you getting? In, in terms of, is there many people getting into the coaching business or are they using within their organization? Because you just mentioned your clients being CEOs or whatever, but what really interests me, how do we permeate throughout the, the organization? How does the, you know, the admin person get looked after in an organization when the CEO uh, is looking at coaching as an option? How, how does that work out for you? Sure. Let me talk about the organizations first and the admin. Let me yeah. just talk a bit about that first. And then let's yeah. talk about the, our practice and how we become successful in, coaching, in our coaching practice. Okay. Looking at organizations, more and more organizations are recognizing the fact that coaching is a fabulous tool to enable people to be the best they can be. Traditionally, and, I, and my clients actually are predominantly in the leadership space. Predominantly, absolutely. The... And years ago, leaders would have been the only ones probably offered the opportunity of working with a coach. Now what's happening in organizations, they are looking at coaching in lots of different levels. So the leaders are still get, still get their coaches. And then the next level, uh, talent and retention of talent. When a, when a person is promoted, there's a program called the 100 Days Program where uh, the, the, new, the new manager is offered uh, the opportunity to work with the coach to assist them to hit the ground running. So we have that level coming to that level. And then the other area that's interesting in our in organizations is we are now involved, Kingston College, and lots of, not just us, but um, organizations are training their managers and their leaders in coaching dialogue. Now, this is where it gets wonderful because by doing that, the leaders and the managers themselves, particularly line managers, are moving into a different dialogue with their direct reports. So that's how, that's how it cascades to an organization. 
the the and then obviously um, organizations who really embrace coaching also offer training programs and half day and one day one day opportunities to attend uh, training around coaching or just getting to know coaching and understand some skills around it in order to manage self. And I think I've said this to you before, Andrea, but it's a really important one for me. I'm often invited into organizations to give talks on leadership. So, and I am uh, talking about leadership. And my challenge always to an organization is, what is your rationale for having a talk for what you call leadership when we all lead from within? So we should always consider the opportunity of running events that talks about the, lead, the leading from within concept. So that's an important one. So it is beginning to cascade through organizations through, through, through that mechanism, leaders, line managers, down to team leaders, and then embracing our, our admin staff who are also going to be engaged in these conversations. So we have that happening. Now, in parallel to that, we have our professional coaches, obviously. So this is, this is what's important. So people who come to the training programs with Kingston College, we have people who come who want to become internal coaches. So these people are themselves going in now to be champions of coaching. They're trained, they're trained as trained as you are. They would be internationally trained coaches, which would not have been the norm many years ago. Um, internal coaches were normally with a two-day program, give give people a few skills. Now they're called an internal coach, which was a flawed model actually and didn't wasn't sustainable. Now people come on the program. Like yourself, they're getting a really rigorous international qualification. They are al aligning to a professional body like the European Mentoring and Coaching Council or the International Coach Federation. They know as much as you and I about our industry, and that's important. So they're bringing a strong message and strong, strong ethics into the organization. So the people who come to the training, that's the first one I wanted to mention to you. The next profile of a person who comes in our training program is, is the student who already is highly skilled in certain areas. So we might get people who are, um, who are skilled leaders. Maybe they've worked in organizations themselves. Maybe they come from the marketing background, PR background, very, very diverse backgrounds, saying, I want to, I want to get a coaching qualification now to add to that skill, to add to that skill. So it's not that they're, not, they're, they're going to brand themselves necessarily as executive coaches or even maybe as coaches at all, but they're going to have in their tagline coaching as part of their offering. So that's the next type of profile we get. The third one is the people who want to become coaches, want to become professional coaches. They want to make money from it. They want it to become their brand and they want to get into the marketplace and be successful. And what I, what I observe is the people who are successful, Few, few reasons. The first is obviously they must have the training. You must have the training. You, and you must have the training that's been delivered by a body like Kingston College, and I'm not, but, but by a body and that's like Kingston College, who are, have a war, have a, can give you credentials from ICF and EMCC, are one of them. But we have the ICF and the EMCC. So that's the first stamp we need to have if we're going to be professional coaches. The second one is a development of a brand that's going to add value to the coaching industry in the world, if that makes sense. Because a lot of people do the program and don't focus on what their brand is going to be. So you could, be, you could do, um, for example, you could do a degree in psychology tomorrow, a degree in engineering, it doesn't matter. But you need to decide what niche you want to go into. The exact same in coaching. And some people um, might decide to brand themselves a life coach. 
And that's that's absolutely fine. If you're going to be a life coach, then you need to say, well, what, where's the marketplace that needs my expertise? Because life coaching is predominantly offered to people who are funding themselves, who want to invest in themselves. So they need to see the message you're giving out about what you offer. Obviously, executive coaching is in the corporate world. Predominantly, people who go into executive coaching already have some understanding of the world of, 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 the, of the corporate, some understanding. I'm not saying people can't be successful, they don't, but people usually some have some understanding. And then we have areas uh, like relationship coaching, really a big growth area. Team coaching is a huge growth area. Um, we have parenting coaching, uh, conflict coaching, um, all, of, all of which are now becoming very recognized brands in the coaching profession. How do we get out there and become, one of, become recognized for there? Then we need to do a little bit more practice, a little bit more training. So if you're going to become a conflict coach, you'll probably need to research a little bit more of the training that's there, add a little bit onto your skill set around your understanding of it in order to really um, put yourself up there and out there. Final person is the person who comes to our program purely because they say to themselves, I want to do something for me, and this sounds great. That's great. Uh, I was know that Paula that you're passionate about. It. I've been in uh, quite a few classes with you, and uh, and it's great. There's a lot to learn, and it's. It, but I think it all comes from the right place. It has to come from the right place. It has to come from the heart. You know, it has to come from. Yes. Uh, and I know, like your your um, your definition of coaching in terms of you know achieving sustainable and, and, and measurable changes within individuals and group and organization. Um, it's it's it what, what interests me last the last question i have for you you started off with the, the idea of the um, uh, disabled people getting the, uh, you know less able people working in organization and mental health was seen uh, as look i don't want to i don't want to get into that you know from organizations mm-hmm. at the time but and then you get a phone call from mindwise do you think the, the likes of MindWise, is that because the conversation around mental health has now become a lot more open and we can talk about it a lot more? Um, is that why organizations are coming to you looking for um, that? Or why, why has it changed? What do you think? Interesting question. I, I, think the, I think the conversations are beginning. I'm not sure how far we are yet, to be really, if I was being really frank with you. I do think there's a recognition... Um, in organizations like MindWise, Mental Health Ireland, worldwide actually, who are involved in this space are recognizing that coaching is a, a fabulous add-on to the services we're offering. So if we think about models like the recovery model, which is really looking at, at our mental health situation and where we are now, um, looking at the medical model, which is assisting us to get through in, in more of a medical approach, coaching is more about Okay, it's not that we don't know about your yesterdays because we do, and we need to understand a little bit about the journey, obviously. But we're bringing that learning into the here and now in order to create strategies to move forward. So I think the coaching dialogue in the health and well-being space and in the corporate well-being space is definitely flourishing, absolutely. Are we talking enough about the space of mental health? I would be still a little bit unsure about that one. So I have clients, um, for example, actually one of our clients this morning, ironically, um, he lives with, bi- his, his man who lives with, bi- he's bipolar, he lives with bipolar, he lives with this, it's fine, he, he work, he's a senior leader, he's never, but he, it's interesting, Andrea, he would not disclose that in the organization he works in. He's a senior leader. Now, it's not a conversation that we've had in the sense of me challenging him because that's his choice, 
I'm not I'm not part of his world because of um, of of anything to do with his mental health or his mental well-being. I'm part of his world because he wants to work and become the best leader possible. But it's it's intriguing me. You don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm not revealing anything confidential. He knows how I feel about it, so it's fine if he hears me talking. Mm-hmm. Um, it intrigues me that he, as a leader, would still feel that in his board, his CEO and his board of management, he would not be comfortable talking about his his health his uh, mental health challenges. So if our leaders can't talk and model, then we are still struggling. I believe. Now I think it will change. I think it will change. But we need more and more leaders in the organizations, for example, to, 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 to be comfortable talking in, talking in the space. And that's the reason, you know, I, I think that's where my shock came a number of years ago when I thought, wonder what's stopping people from talking to people who have mental health challenges. I wonder what's stopping them. And I began to realize it didn't come from a bad place by any manner of means. And I don't think it does come from a bad place, but it comes from a place of fear. If we do the wrong thing, if we say the wrong thing, what will happen? So there's a little bit about that. And also there's language. So, for example, um, you probably heard the stat, there's one in four people will encounter mental health challenges worldwide. Now, you probably heard me saying this before. I I really, I, I understand it's a statistic, and I understand it probably is a very genuine statistic. But if we're saying that in a room, only one person out of four people really understands what it's like, to have a mental health challenge, surely that's very flawed. I mean, you and I know what anxiety is. There's no, I've never met a human being in this world who does not know what anxiety is, who's never been sad or down, who's never hit a wall, who's never been overwhelmed. So what are they? They're mental health challenges. So it's just, it's, it's, are we getting better at talking was your question. And I think with champions like yourself and people, people in organizations, I think it's happening. I think we've we've a little we've a way to go yet, Andrea. I really think we've a way to go. And last question, Paula, uh, because uh, that little I've done of coaching and I'm really enjoying it, but it, it is quite demanding uh, mentally and physically because you know if if you're going in with the with the right attitude that you you want the best for the client, you're absorbing all this information and you take it to heart. So as a coach that has you know, two, two coach, you, you have two sessions this morning, probably have another couple this afternoon. You're doing your college, you're busy absorbing this information. All that. What's the best option for your mental health and your well-being? What do you do to look after yourself? Well, first of all, I hugely believe in the concept. And it's interesting. I was just speaking to my client this morning. Um, I really believe in the concept of our well of well-being. And I genuinely mean that with my heart. You know, if we don't, fill our well of well-being with good things when we're well, Hmm. how can the brain, when it reacts, when something happens that's not so good, what do we have? We've no, we've no, no place to go to. So in the days when I'm feeling well, and I I am, every other human being, I get tired sometimes, I can feel overwhelmed sometimes, but there's a few things I want to say about that, just three actually. The first one is the well of well-being, you know, um, and that's different for every human being, what keeps us resilient. So I keep my gratitude journal. I keep a gratitude journal every evening. And I, I recommend this to every person I know because it's one of the most powerful resilience tools I've ever encountered. And it literally is just writing down three things in the evening that you're grateful for that you've contributed to. And that's the most important part because it reminds you of the control and it, it plants in the brain that, that, that reminder that we actually have control. Even on the days we feel out of control. 
we are never out of control is a very powerful message. Uh, so that's the first one, the well of well-being, things like going for a walk, what did I see, what do I hear, what do I feel in that mindfulness state and building up that so that in your in the evening you can say, God, today I saw a beautiful view, I heard a beautiful bird singing, I heard somebody saying something really wonderful, so kind and compassionate. So so this, this these techniques are so important for us. That's the very first one. The second one, it's interesting what you said about absorbing. No coach absorbs. And this is a really important, no coach absorbs because we bring our compassionate empathy. So anybody who comes to coaching is empathic. That's, that's a given. As I probably have said to you, nobody comes to coaching and says to me, Paula, I want to become a coach, but I don't like people. I mean, that's just never going, that's just never going to happen. So people who come to coaching are people, people. Now, people, people are very empathic people. And I just want to remind us of the three levels of empathy because this is important around absorbing. The first level is, um, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. That's cognitive. I read somewhere, um, which is probably an awful thing to say, but it's probably true, that uh, bullies and psychopaths have cognitive empathy. Makes sense. They know how you feel, Andrea, and they know what to do about that. So I know how you feel is cognitive. The second empathy to be aware of is emotional empathy. I know how you feel and I am feeling it. And that's what the, absor that's the absorption. I am feeling it. You're crying, I'm crying with you. You're sad, I'm equally sad. You're upset, I'm upset. So that's the second, the emotional empathy. And that's what we bring initially because that's, that's what we do. In coaching, we're trained to bring compassionate empathy. And that's really important. I know how you feel. You know, I have felt sad and down too. Tell me three things you could do about that, Andrea. Tell me three things you could do about this your situation. So doing that and moving into that space of compassionate empathy ensures that coaches don't absorb, or any, any human being who needs to listen to people who may be going through challenges, the absorption is not something that will happen if you bring compassionate empathy to your, to your coaching sessions, a really important one. The last one, just to say this to you about again, is once a person leaves, once a person comes in, you do your mind, before they come in, you do your mindfulness, Clear your mind, no matter what's happened, you're in that moment, present is everything for, for a coach. When a person leaves you, as I did this morning, it's really important to do reflective practice. So some case notes about what happened, what did I do well, what would I do differently, and how am I now as a coach? That, that releases anything that you might, that maybe you did absorb, and it allows you to be present for the next person without depleting your energy. So I hope that's useful, Andrea. Absolutely. Very useful, Paula. And, and I know we're up against the time and uh, I could talk to you all day, but I'd probably come up with something else. I'll, I'll have you on again for round two. But uh, yeah, thanks a million for, for everything. It's very insightful and I uh, hope the listeners will take something out of it. And uh, we shall see you soon, Paula. Thanks a million again. Andrea. I will indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Paula. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Andrea. Wow.